0: Welcome, everyone, to the Psychic Wives podcast with Ginger Hendry, Jerry Karabin, and Kathy Rumsey. Here, we discuss all things energetic, spiritual, intuitive, and yes, psychic. You'll learn about things like Reiki, animal communication, mediumship, or maybe just how to manage your energy on a daily basis. We'd like this to be a place where you can come to open your mind and allow yourself to create a better version of you. It's all about everyday living, with a twist,
1: excuse me welcome to this episode of the psychic wives i'm ginger hendry i'm kathy rumsey and i'm jerry karabin and we are thrilled to have a guest with us today we have dr jennifer lisa vest um specifically talk well not specifically we'll be talking about all kinds of things but we wanted to talk about um, her book called the ethical psychic um, and it's a great topic, and she has such a wealth <laughs> of information, of training, of um, of ability, of gifts. So I uh, mentioned before we started this that I was going to actually take some information from her uh, Amazon um, book because I did I want I didn't want to miss anything. So, um, so Dr. Vest is an Afro Indigenous intuitive, a scholar, a healer. Um, And she does medical intuition. She does Akashic record work. um, She does quantum healing. um, And I'm missing all kinds of, I'm sure, the things that she can cover for us. Um, But she has uh, trained and done work in um, uh, Afro-American hoodoo, Native American sweat lodge, Jamaican revivalism, Trinidadian Shango. I I don't know what that is. I'm so excited. (laughs) Uh, Spiritualism, Reiki, Pranic Healing, um, and has written, um, well, multiple books now, right? You have other books that are coming out. So welcome, uh, Dr. Vest, and we are really thrilled to have you here.
2: Oh, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So because of all of what I just said about the, the depth of everything, can you just sort of start, I would say at the beginning, but um, you have known about your gifts for your whole life, your whole childhood. So can you take us back sort of to the early and early years and how did it come through to you and kind of go from there?
2: Okay, Um Well, let's see, where do I start? Um, I, do have a, I do have a memory of my birth and have <laughs> feeling of being born into a house of spirits, which was the hospital. And because I was born with empathic gifts, you know, gifts that are, were kind of set me up to be a medical intuitive, um, I was really sensitive in hospitals and I used to have no tolerance for being around sick people or hospitals when I was younger. So I have this memory of being born into this terrible place because hospitals are full of spirits who passed you know, suddenly and traumatically and they're very unhappy with their deaths. And so they hang around the hospital. And then of course, there's a lot of sick people there too, who are unhappy. And so it's, um, we need to change that. We need to change hospitals. But um, uh, when I was very young, I really can't remember when it started, but I always had these experiences when I was a small child of my spirit teachers or these different spirits coming and pulling me out of my body at night and taking me on adventures or taking me to spirit school. And, um, you know, when I was young, I had these really clear sensations that would let me know I was about to leave my body. And when I got older and I started reading a lot, I read, read all of Robert Monroe's books on out of body travel and, um, I then, you know, began to understand it more, but all these vibrations. And then when I was a kid, I used to just remember feeling like I would get really big and then really little and then really big and then really little. And I would always get a little scared when that was happening, because I knew that when that was happening, I was about to leave. And I was I was pulled out of my body because when I was young, I didn't know how to, you know, consciously or willfully leave my body. And so I was always pulled out. And I would have these light beings that would take me to spirit school. And then also they would sometimes take me on journeys around the world. Sometimes I would go to other countries. Sometimes I would go to the future or the past. Sometimes, like I remember one time I was, I was shown all of my past lives. And so as a child, I used to write down a lot of my experiences on paper and put them in my underwear drawer. And uh, I would write these little notes, dear drawer. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and- <laughs> Because I learned early not to talk about it too much. So I had to talk to someone, so I talked to my drawer. And, <laughs> and so I, like, I found a, a sheet of paper when I was uh, in college that I had written down when I was um, 9 or 10, where I had listed out all of my past lives and all of my deaths. Mm-hmm. And so there was just different things like that that they would teach me. And so I called them my spirit teachers. Um, And so that was when I was very young and I had a lot of nightmares. I had a lot of scary experiences because as a kid, um, you know, going out of body, I was dealing with, um, you know, different types of beings showing up and messing with me and trying to get in my body. I was dealing with a lot of dead people who like to talk about how they died, which, you know, none of us really wants to hear about, especially when you're a kid (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, but they all wanted help. Right. So dead people want help. They will sometimes appear the way they look when they died or they'll be talking about their death, which is totally unnecessary, but they don't know that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so when you're a kid, that can be scary. And then also some of the experiences I had, like going into the future, I saw some natural catastrophes, some genocides, um, that was also scary. And so I had a very ambivalent relationship to my gifts um, growing up. I also you know, predicted things like when I was 12, I saw that my cousin was going to die. And then we got a call the next day that he died. He had died violently.
3: Mm.
2: So it was very shocking. wasn't expected. He was very young. And, um, I just would have these dreams and these, um, visions about things. And, um, you know, <laughs> so that was kind of my earliest, my earliest experience. Now I had some guidance early on. Um, I had kind of a mixed I was raised by different people growing up. So I had different experiences with the different people I was raised with. So it wasn't, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all good. You know, it was a mix. <laughs> and uh, so I had a mother who was psychic and, and my mother's side of the family, they're psychics, you know, the mother's line is psychic all the way back, but nobody really embraced it um, fully in a kind of public way. My mother did to a certain extent, in that she, uh, she, you know, she read tarot. She was an astrologer. She even worked on a psychic hotline for a while, and um, she was kind of always warning me not to do this work <laughs> <laughs> and um, the perils of it. Mm. And so I had some support from her, uh, but I didn't have her. I didn't grow up with her my whole childhood. I only had her when I was young, and then. Um, on my father's side of the family, my great grandmother was gifted and she identified me early on as the person in my generation with the gift. And she was kind of teaching me, but she died when I was 10. And um, she continued to work with me from the other side, but it was different, you know, it's not the same, but um, uh, so I did continue to get teachings from her on like herbalism and, and uh, some hoodoo and some, you know, some, uh, certain certain traditions um so i had i had that um but most of my training when i was really young really came from my spirit teachers and then as i got older teachers just kind of kept showing up in my life and i wasn't seeking them out um and but they just there was no way i could get away from it and so in my 20s um you know, I was an academic. I was all about being an intellectual and had an academic career, and that was the path I was on. And I didn't want to get derailed by all this psychic stuff. And there was just so much negative um, talk about psychic stuff in you know intellectual circles that I felt you know I needed to kind of keep that under wraps. Um, but in my twenties, um, I went to let's see, where was that? I went to Trinidad, and I was doing my master's degree, and I ended up deciding to do my master's degree on women healers in um, Jamaica. Um, but you know, as I was trying to formulate my thesis, you know, how did I end up, you know, studying healers? Right. So <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, I was, you know, I was interested in something in Caribbean history, and um, I'm part Haitian. And I'm, you know, I was interested in, you know, African, Native American, African American, Caribbean, and I ended up focusing on Caribbean. And so I went to Trinidad with this Shango Temple. So I was in D.C. and I started going to this um, Shango Temple in D.C. And Shango is an Afro, you know, Afro-Caribbean tradition that's, you know, it's a mixture of traditional African religions from West Africa mixed with, Um, Catholicism, and and so this is what the people who were enslaved uh, in the Americas had to find a way to preserve their culture by hiding it in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so you, Mm -hmm. a number of traditions like this, Santeria, Voodoo, Shango, um, revivalism, that are combinations of traditions. And so Shango, I started going to a Shango temple in DC. And I thought that I was, you know, studying it. I was going to write this thesis, and I went to to Trinidad, and as soon as I got to Trinidad, all of the women, the the mothers. So the tradition is run by mothers. It's run by priestesses, and um, there were like, you know, four or five priestesses there, and they just grabbed me as soon as I got there, and they were like, "You have the gift. You're one of us. We're going to train you." and that was not my intention when i went there <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. but that
2: happened and that was pretty much what happened my whole life um you know i went to jamaica again i was i was there for work i was working for a professor as a res- graduate research assistant The all the healers in that country as soon as they saw me they were like you're one of us they had names for me like you they had all these names you're this kind of person and they started training me and later on um I went to go do a sweat because I had a dream where my clan mothers told me you have to go do four sweats because I was sick. I went to go do a sweat and I was pulled aside by the, by the firekeeper. As soon as I got there, says, you're a firekeeper. You need to be trained as a firekeeper. I'm going to train you. So this is the kind of thing that was happening my whole life. And But I still kept thinking, um, you know, that's not my path. My path is the intellectual path. And so I was kind of trying to just keep that stuff um, under wraps to to some extent. I mean, all my you know friends and family knew who I was, but people who didn't know me, I like keep it quiet. Um, <laughs> <you did> it. <laughs> like colleagues, I thought, oh, I'll keep it quiet. Hmm. Um. So so yeah. Um, sh- should I stop there? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I, know have,
1: ask- I have questions. I'm sure that you have questions, but. You know, we talk a lot on the podcast about being um, like on the path that you're supposed to be on and that the, the things will step into your path to take you sort of where you need to go if you're open and whatnot. And it sounds like for you, um, even, I'd say stronger because you didn't have a choice as a child. Right. I mean, it, it just happened. So, um Once you became acclimated to that kind of thing happening, you you did embrace it, even though you weren't doing it, let's say, full time and not everybody knew about it. But all of the learnings, all of the teachings uh, and the recognition from people that you had that gift, I think is wild. Um, I know you mentioned that it was kind of scary as a child, but I can't imagine myself as a child being feel like I pulled, you know, was being pulled out of my body or whatever. I think I would be undone. I, I don't know. Was there some feeling around that? that you know, and I don't know if, if you know this, but a, a feeling or a knowing that I am going to be safe. I'm worried because of this. I I don't know what's happening, but but I'm ultimately going to be safe or not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I should probably give some context. You know, I had a pretty tumultuous childhood, so I had a lot of uh, physical insecurity in my life. And um, so I suppose that might have um Um, you know, set the stage for me to be fearful already, Mm -hmm. you know, so when you're a child and you have adults around you who aren't reliable, then you don't necessarily trust adults, you know,
3: Mm -hmm. know,
2: a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I was very fearful as a child. I was having all these experiences and I became a pretty serious insomniac. Um, I was terrified to go to sleep and, um, and the way that my parents saw it was just that i had a lot of nightmares and um you know i knew that these things were real they weren't figments of my imagination but i didn't really uh when i was young understand why i could i could have these incredibly beautiful experiences in the other world and yet i would come back and i would have these battles with um you know malignant or mischievous spirits And so that part of it, I didn't understand when I was young. And, and, you know, now that's one of the things that I, that I teach people about is, you know, if you can, you know, deal with your emotions in your current life and deal with your fears, um, then you're not gonna have those scary experiences. But I had a kind of, you know, um, unsettled childhood. And so I was predisposed to have scary experiences because I was emotionally fraught, right? Right. Uh, And so I did have these really beautiful experiences, um, and I what I had a very strong feeling of when I was. I remember when I was twelve, I got to this point where I was like, "Why do I have to be here on planet Earth? Because it's so much better on the other side. Everyone's so loving. There's no. There's no war. There's no fighting. There's you know. There's there's no negativity." And and I remember I got to this point where I was just very. Um, very disappointed that I had incarnated <laughs> <And> <laughs> found myself constantly asking my spirit group so I had this council of 12 that I work with and when I was younger I saw them as classmates and teachers and then over time they kind of morphed into a council and they've had they, they've appeared in different ways over my lifetime according to what I need and that's how it works right we see what we see things the way we need to see them to our own spiritual development and when I was younger it was me going to class with all my classmates and they were like oh you're so lucky you get to be on planet earth and I was like lucky you won't get <laughs> here where everything is beautiful and I've got to go down to that nasty dirty place
3: <laughs>
2: right but all those those crazy humans and they kept trying to convince me over the years that I was the lucky one Uh, because for some reason I was the only one in the group who incarnated and the rest of them were on the other side just waiting for my reports Mm. and um and it took me a long time to accept that because it's just so beautiful over there and the, the place is just so filled with love and um so so I think I think as a child um you know I had You know both experiences you know i had this really beautiful loving experience uh, often with my spirit teachers and my and my you know going over there and and i was learning things they were teaching me things Mm -hmm. i had this very strong feeling of of getting teachings and um and that was very good but then i also had you know scary experiences with um you know dead people and these weird spirits and stuff (laughs) Mm-hmm. I want to
0: go back to what you had said. Um, so you, you had these two, everywhere you go, people are saying you have the gift, you have the gift, you, I, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to train you. Um, and you kept saying, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but I'm still, this is, that's not the path. I'm still going over here. Do you remember the actual point where you say, okay, I guess it's, <laughs> you know, like, okay. I can't. I can't. I can't.
4: Waving so, the white flag. Yeah. yeah
0: like, yeah. do you remember how that well, felt? or when Well, I'm hard
2: headed, And so the way that it had to work for me was I got really sick. And, um, I got really sick and at this point I was a professor and I was, I was having serious health issues. I was going to lots of different healthcare practitioners. You know, I was going to naturopaths and acupuncturists and, and, you know, uh, allopaths, you know, traditional mainstream doctors. And I was doing therapy and, uh, alternative, all kinds of alternative different practices and I wasn't getting better. And um, and so my dad, uh, I was visiting him in Phoenix and he said, hey, I wanna take you to this medical intuitive I know. And this was um, a long time ago and medical intuition was a really new field. And so he takes me to this medical intuitive and um, you know, looking back now that I am a medical intuitive, I would say she wasn't really a medical intuitive. I would say she was very gifted psychic uh, because she didn't actually provide me any medical information at all, and this is one of my sticking points now as a medical intuitive. When I'm teaching, I say, you know, if you're not providing medical information, you are do not call yourself a medical right. intuitive. But if, right. if you're not providing information about their actual ailments and symptoms and you know treatments, you know, you're you're an intuitive, which is fine. Just which is fine, intuitive. right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a medical. Yeah. It's two different things. Yeah. And so she didn't actually like like at the time I was having some seizures and like, she she, she couldn't tell me anything about my brain what was going on with my brain. And so I was kind of disappointed with that, but she was amazing and uh, in many other ways. And she told me, Hey, the reason that you're sick is because you have all these gifts and you are not embracing them. And if you don't embrace them, you're going to stay sick. And so I was like, Oh, well, I'll do whatever I have to do to get better. <laughs> right. Yeah. So she's like, you've got to enroll in some psychic development classes and you have to take this seriously. And so that was the first time that I chose to find teachers. Prior to that, teachers were always finding me. Right. And so I actually went and start and like took a class and that led me to the spiritualists. And I ended up moving into a spiritualist community and spending five years studying with all of these different teachers in the spiritualist community in Florida mediums and healers and psychics and um and just getting really serious about um choosing to train
4: mm. yeah. neat and so now you teach classes yeah uh, what do you teach you teach a medical intuitive class
2: yeah so i um i've taught a number of things right now i have a medical intuition class on my website which is an on-demand class you can take at your own pace and I also have been teaching classes for the SHIFT Network. Um, and so I've been teaching Indigenous medical intuition for the SHIFT Network. I taught an intro Indigenous medical intuition class and also a, a more advanced class. And those were live, but now they're recorded. You, you can take them as mm-hmm. on-demand recorded classes. Um, and then I also just developed a, a, a little, a smaller class called All About Auras, which talks about what auras are, their history, their use in different cultures. The relationship to healing and psychic work and out-of-body travel etc and i'm just starting to create these these courses like that um, on my website that are on-demand things where they're recorded they're, you know videos and and uh, um you know pictures and information that people and of course
0: are- everybody who's listening of course you are going to have you're going to find dr vest's information on our website so you can have access to get to her website etc for those classes just yeah. I don't want anybody to be like, wait, say the name of the website. Say the name. Of it. It'll be <laughs> out.
1: Don't worry. Like everybody else, should, yeah, should be up else. Ask <laughs> you. Um,
2: I, I've ta- I wanted to to say though, I've taught a lot of things. Right now, I'm only teaching these few classes on my website, but mm-hmm. I used to teach in person for many years, and I taught psychic development for many years. I taught Akashic records. I taught medical intuition. Uh, I taught intuitive healing energetics, which was a combination of psychic, psychic. Perception and healing, uh, taught Reiki.
1: Great.
2: I just I want to ask a couple mediumship too. (laughs) A
1: couple of questions. One is we talk about um, or you talk about being an indigenous um, medical intuitive, which most people who have this business, this gift, whatever, is just a medical intuitive. Can you explain to us? I know is it because you have trained in all of these things? You know, in all of these different areas, um, what is the, I don't want to say strength. I mean, there's a gift in it anyway, but but identifying it that way, what does that tell people? Or what do you want to share with people? I don't know how to ask it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think I get it. Um, well, you know, I started out just calling what I was teaching medical intuition. And then when the shift network wanted me to come teach, um, they actually had interviewed me. And in the interview, um I started talking about a book that I'm working on. So, you know, The Ethical Psychic um, I wrote last year, or came out last year. Um, and then I have another book that's coming out in January on Native American philosophy called Sovereign Wisdom. And then my my third book, um, Medical Mystic, is about medical intuition, and I have a chapter on the history of it. and And as I was researching and writing the book, I realized that... Um, nobody has really talked about the fact that medical intuition has been a part of indigenous cultures for centuries and so much that's written about medical intuition makes us think that it's something that was invented a couple decades ago or maybe Edgar Casey came up with it but it's certainly something very new and very western and that didn't really jive with my experience um, and but the way that I had been teaching medical intuition the way, <clears throat> the way that I've been teaching a lot of things, was. I wasn't being real explicit about my training um, because I was teaching in Los Angeles to a very um, diverse class of people from a lot of different backgrounds. And so I was trying to teach it in a kind of, you know, (laughs) I don't know what you call that (laughs) mass market way, I guess. (laughs) And I realized, you know, around 2018 spirit was directing me to start running these women of color medicine series programs. And and I started doing that up in the Bay area in California, Oakland. And I was invited up there to do that. And it was a program I started where I called it a Sarah class. It was part ceremony and part class and uh, people would come. It was all women of color, different from every background. Um, And I would set up ceremony and then we would have a little class session where I would have a short talk and then have questions. And then I would take everybody on a guided um, medicine journey or um, what do you call that Um,
1: uh, A A journey?
2: Yeah, like a journey or a deep meditation. So people could have their own experience. And I started doing those classes. And at that point, I realized that um, it was okay, like in that context, it felt okay to be very explicit about the different trainings I had had and what I had learned from my teachers, and to not feel like I had to kind of package it in a way that was, um, uh, you know, not culturally specific. And that kind of freed me up to, um, to feel like I could, uh, you know, really talk more about my actual background. And so when this opportunity came along with the shift network to do a class, they said, Well, why don't you just uh, do a class and just call it indigenous medical intuition, then you can just really teach all of that. Mm. And that was a great opportunity for me, uh, because I was writing about it, but I hadn't had a chance to teach it that way yet. And so the way that it was different from what I had taught before was mostly in my being very explicit about about why I was teaching the way I was. Uh, but also it gave me a chance to kind of bring the ceremonial in. So some of the students I had down in LA when I was teaching a lot of my classes, some of them were, you know, Christians and, um, and some of them were, some of them just were kind of, we had kind of fear-based in certain ways and they were afraid of, um, you know, ceremony. And so if I would, you know, I would come to class and I would burn sage and I would, <clears throat> I'd have my crystals and I would do certain things. But if I did too much of that, some of them would get nervous, <laughs> what are you doing? Is that some hoodoo, you know, we're afraid yeah. of hoodoo, you know, and, you know. and so it also has to do with these racist perceptions, right? Everything, you yes. know, uh, Afro or African or even natives like savage or, you know, primitive mm-hmm. or, um, you know, devil, right? Devil associated. Right. So I was kind of having to deal with some of those those attitudes. I, I, I kind of, after the pandemic, I was teaching online and, you know, that kind of freed us up, didn't it? <laughs> 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 you had to deal with people as much. <laughs> um, and so in Indigenous medical intuition, I talk about things like um, the history of um, intuitive medicine or uh, psychic diagnosis in various Indigenous traditions. So in my class, I bring in um healers from like the Sangoma tradition in South Africa from uh different Native American healers in the United States I brought in some healers from Peru and Mexico um and they will all talk about how their tradition has this aspect of it where the medicine person the healer the shaman will diagnose the person intuitively that's a part of the tradition it's a part of many traditions (laughs) and so in the class, I talk about that and I share that history, and then I talk about the different traditions I was trained in and how psychic diagnosis was a part of my training. Like when I was in Jamaica working with the healers in Jamaica, uh, that's how they worked. You know, they would they would meet a person, and they would then tell them what was wrong with them, and then provide a healing. And so that was a part of the the healing that I was that I was trained in. Um, and then I also in the class, I, so I also talk a lot about <clears throat> sacred space and working with plant and animal allies. And so these are indigenous aspects of the tradition that you don't see in the more mainstream medical intuition classes. And so I you know, I talk about setting up um, altars. I talk about working with rocks and um, different plants and about setting up your space and you know, how you pray in your space and how you use music and different things, elements to, um, to create um, a certain energy in the room to protect yourself, to protect your client, to set your intention. Um, and so I talk about that when I, when I talk about indigenous medical intuition. And then I also talk about things like um, the importance of having an altar, of working with ancestors, um, working with spirit animals And these are all um, things that are found in different indigenous traditions I've been trained in. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's kind of a tendency um, in mainstream kind of courses on psychic development to pare everything down and take away all the tools and all Mm -hmm. of the cultural context. Mm -hmm. You're just supposed to be like in a room, in an office, like a doctor or you know someone else. And you're just going to give someone a reading and there's, and you're not, you're not supposed to necessarily have any tools. And in fact, when I was trained by the spiritualists, they were really adamant about that. Like it was like a, like a, a diehard rule that you could not use any tools. They were really anti-tools. And I do think that's a valuable way to learn. I think it's good to learn how to work without tools because some people, they become dependent on their tools. So I have learned I can I can read anyone anywhere under any circumstances, I don't need anything to do that. However, um, as I got older, I began to reflect more on why was it that in the in the traditions I was trained that were people of color traditions, why were there always, you know, why was there always smoke, there was always music, there was always rituals, Um, and I, as I reflected on it more, I realized that, you know, having those tools is a way of, um, safeguarding the space and protecting everybody. And it's also a way to, to maintain your intention and to protect you from negative forces. And certainly if you're an advanced healer, uh, you can do your work without that. But, um, you are, um. So you can you can work without that, but but why? You know? Right, right. <laughs> because what I found over time is that my clients really benefit from those rituals. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what a lot of it's about. A lot of the rituals are are not about the healer. When you reach a certain level of accomplishment, you don't need to burn sage to do a healing. Mm-hmm. You already know how to maintain your energy. But when you do it, it helps your client. You know, it relaxes them, it makes yeah. it a them to to get their mind in the right frame of mind, like they're like they're prepared for what the what they're there for. Um, the music that I use, you know, it helps to um, like when people come in and they're anxious or they're in pain or whatever. The music helps. You know, there's a, there's a lot of benefit to the different rituals. Um,
4: and I, I think that I think that clients who do readings with us, whether it's an animal reading or mediumship or med, you know, for you for medical intuitive readings. People don't understand that because the intuition stuff has gotten so mainstream. Like I had someone who I do my readings over the phone and she was driving home (laughs) and I was like, ah, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: no, you, you can't be driving in your car while I'm doing your reading. You know, it's not, that's not how the process works. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? I can tell by your reaction that you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's like there has to be some. It's 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 something we don't understand fully, and it really doesn't fit into our world. Like it's not a re- this is not a regular phone call, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. The challenge is now that we're post pandemic and we're doing so many things online and on the phone is that it's harder to control the environment. When I used to see clients in person, they would walk into my space. And you know, I would have burned stuff. And, and I had my, my, um, you know, my um, crystal grid up and my music playing. And I was able to have some impact on them and their energy. And I would also take my time if they weren't, if they weren't ready, I would delay and you know, I would be like, you know, doing all this extra stuff. Oh, I got to change the music. Oh, I've got to burn some more stuff. Why? Because I'm waiting for them to get ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: They need to stop with the, you know, yeah, put their phone away, they're... away and, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. put the phone serious. away. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And zoom it's, it's more challenging, but you, I do have to tell people, uh, I mean, I'm not doing sessions right now. I'm taking a break, but I did a lot of zoom sessions for the last several years. And I would have to tell people, look, you know, you have to be in a quiet room. There can't be other people around. Uh, you can't have anything else going on. You can't interrupt the session. You have to have your phone up. Like I would have to tell people these things because they don't know any better. <laughs> right. And, but also- That's you not know, how they're living now, right? right. Yeah. On the Zoom, I would do the same thing. If they seemed like they weren't ready, I would be like, oh, well, let me, Um, I got to adjust my crystals and oh, yeah, me, I've got to- um." Let me burn some more. I'm going to say another prayer, you know.
0: (laughs) It is funny. It reminds me of a time when I was teaching a yoga class and somebody actually answered their phone. (laughs) I'm like, what? I almost didn't know what to say because I'm like,
2: what? uh, uh." (laughs) Yeah, people have lost, you know, they've lost track of the idea of sacred space versus, versus day space. You know, it's not the same. Yeah got to set yourself aside and set your life aside and, and and be in this different in this different space to do this work. Um, yeah, and that's one of the strengths I think of indigenous practices is they always have so many mechanisms and rituals to bring people into that way of being. So when I was teaching my women of color medicine series, that was my first time um, really running ceremony a lot. And Um, it just all happened organically and spirit led, you know, and I would have this, I had this yoga studio and, um, I would be playing music and I would be burning all of these. I had all of these different herbs. I'd created this mixture of herbs that I would burn that were, um, you know, good for psychic development, good for calming, good for, um, your health, good for the lungs, different things. And I would burn them in the four corners of the room and people would file in. And they would sit on the floor on these cushions in a circle. And for the first like 20 minutes, you know, I didn't talk. I There was nothing, you know, they were just having to sit in the music and the smoke and um, kind of get into that ceremonial space. And there's not really any replacement for that. You no. know, um, when a person just goes into a space and they just have to kind of, let go of everything else and just kind of be in that space without talking, without doing things.
4: You know, <laughs> and What's amazing is how, how healing just that act can be for some yeah. people who aren't oh, yeah. used to doing that, you know, well, to yeah, just sit because- quietly in that environment is so helpful.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are so stressed. People have so much going on. Mm-hmm. And they don't give themselves, they often don't give themselves that, that opportunity or they don't feel that they have, they can take that time. Right. Yeah, um, and so it's so good if someone else like myself can provide them a space mm-hmm. where they can kind of shut off and, 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 and see
0: how them. it can be.
3: Yeah.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can you uh, give us, can you talk a little bit directly about, specifically about the book?
2: Yes. Um, Did you, oh, did.
0: The Ethical Psychic.
2: Yeah. And I love to get questions. So if you read it and you have any questions based on what you've read, you know, that's great too. Um, I wrote this book, um, really, it was, you know, kind of spirit written. Um, I think as a direct result of a lot of experiences I had both as a teacher and as a psychic working with other psychics, I just observed a lot of unethical behavior. And I found myself again and again in situations where I had to part ways with colleagues because um, they were behaving in ways that, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't sign on to. And And then I also just had a lot of students that I noticed, you know, so many students now, they just want to, they want a quick, fast and dirty way to develop gifts and
0: weekend warriors.
2: Yeah. They, they want to learn something really fast and they don't want to talk about the ethics and they don't want to go through, they don't want to deal with ritual. They don't want to deal with, you know, intention and they want to do things in a way that, that um, is dangerous. And I did see some of my students, you know, kind of disregard what I say and go off, stop taking my classes, go off, get involved in what I call filthy magic and get Mm -hmm. themselves into trouble. Um, And so I I really, and I was always talking about ethics in my classes. I taught this psychic development class every Wednesday night for about six years. And it was a wonderful class where it was kind of a community where people were coming for years and we would have food and tea and people would share their experiences and then i would teach a different lesson each week and people would then practice and it was a wonderful um community and i was always talking about ethics and they were kind of getting annoyed you know some of them like <laughs> you're talking about this and they some of them thought well it's because i used to be a physics prof- i mean a philosophy professor and i used to teach ethics as a professor and and so I just had a you know a habit um <laughs> yeah. but I just have always felt very strongly about it and I think part of why I felt so strongly about it is because my my teachers my um like my Afro-Caribbean teachers and my indigenous and my uh, Native American teachers always emphasized character and ethics. that was always a part of developing these gifts mm-hmm. and and so I was always talking about it and I realized that you know nobody was, you know, nobody was really teaching this, there was no books on it, like the students when part of why they were complaining about it is because when they took classes with other teachers, nobody else was talking about it. So why was I harping on about it? Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so I thought, well, there needs to be a book, so that anybody studying psychic development can find out what the risks are, um, what you know, what the best practices are um, how, what, you know, what you, what steps you can take to make sure you don't harm anybody. And so, um, you know, in the book, I'll look at the table of contents so I can remember (laughs) (laughs) talk about the traits of an ethical psychic, the risks of psychic work. Um, and then I talk a lot about interfering with the will of others. And I talk about, um, how you can misuse your psychic gifts to interfere with, um, people's paths, both on this side and the on the other side. So I also talk a lot about um, spirits. And I talk about portals and possessions. So because I'm a medium, um, because I have a lot of different backgrounds. Um, the book covers a lot of different types of practitioners. And so I it's called the ethical psychic, but it really could be called the ethical medium, the ethical healer, right, um, ethical, um, spiritual teacher. And I talk about, um, you know, working with spirits, working with soul paths. Um, I talk about cultural appropriation, I talk about um, fake gurus, people who set themselves up as experts on cultures they weren't actually trained in, or people who are actually trained in their tradition, but then they use that training or they use their gifts to control people to exploit people financially or sexually. Um, Some people have told me that they use they find this book helpful. For people who are clients of psychics or mediums or healers um, or students, like if you're looking for a spiritual teacher, um, I give a lot of red flags in this book, what mm. to look for, uh, what to, you know, run from.
0: <laughs> That's really great. I, it, it's really great.
2: It is in the umbrella of of,
1: um, sort of what what is in the book and the way you teach and the way that you are in the world is um, things that we've talked about, too. The main reason that somebody would want to be in this um, or on this path is to be of service. So be of service. You say to be humble to be authentic. These are all things that, that, um, that we talk about that come up, um, a lot because there are a lot of people out there practicing. I got somebody come for a reading and say, if I, whatever information is coming through and say, well, how come so-and-so told me that blah, blah, blah. I don't know I how yeah. they would <laughs> say such a thing. Um, and so, you know, being authentic, being humble, being self-aware, um Being of know,
4: service being, in it to be being of being service. service, not not making money. Like <laughs> our goal
1: is not to be wealthy here from doing and if it. Yeah, I mean whatever's supposed to happen will happen if you are on the right path. But going into it, you know. um And I remember, I think it was you, maybe Kathy or Jerry, talking about one of the people that you studied with who said. Um, you know, I'm tired of people coming into, my was mediumship class, tired of people coming in my class. They looking, they're going to write a book. They want to teach a class for a lot of money. I mean, they're not coming in to be of service. They're coming in so that they can get serviced. So, yeah. um, yeah, there's a lot of people out there.
3: Yeah. Doing
4: and I think that that, that's a, a byproduct of, of, of this realm becoming more mainstream, right? It's, it's a, it's a catchphrase now to you know, the spiritual world stuff. Right.
2: You know, part of the problem is that we don't have, um, you know, credentialing. We don't have structured training. We don't have licensing. Right. And so I think that's the next step. Um, one of the things I'm working on is creating my own school, Metatron's Academy of Spirit and Science, where I'm going to uh, bring together people to study um, psychic work, intuitive healing but also combine it with science and other fields um because i see on the one hand we have in the psychic um kind of healing world you have a lot of people who are teaching who aren't really qualified to teach and um who are you know kind of like you said they're taking a class and then all of a sudden they're a teacher now they're writing a book and they just learned it yesterday but now they're writing a book and they're teaching class on it Um, So we don't have the standards and we don't have any kind of oversight of um, what people are practicing, what people are teaching. And um, as a result, there's a lot of charlatans out there and a lot of people who just don't know what they're doing. And then they give the rest of us a bad name. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And A lot of people out there are looking for an excuse to give us a bad name. So they only need a couple of examples. (laughs) Right, right. They go to one bad psychic and all psychics are frauds, right? right? right. <laughs> and so yeah, we are judged very harshly and fairly. But we also don't have any kind of um, you know, kind of community oversight. And and this is also one of the, you know, one of the things we lost. So like when you're when you're training in an indigenous community and you're you have to manifest certain signs, first of all, to be on that path. You don't just pick yourself. You don't just decide I want to be a healer. No, you have to manifest certain signs and then other people have to identify you. And then you go through a long training and, and then you don't just get training, but you're evaluated on your character. And, um, you know, and so there's all this big, long process. And, and then there's a community that, that, um, you know, is, you know, there's, there's consequences, you know, if you don't do a good job, um, <laughs> you know, and so we don't have any of that, right? And so we have this new model and, and that's okay. We don't have to do things the way they used to be done. We can do things in a new way. But um, now that we don't have all of that kind of oversight and intensive training and community involvement, uh, we need to have something else. We need to have something else, some kind of um, way of, of having people be accountable and some way of making sure that people are um you know actually talented <laughs> mm-hmm. and we don't really we don't have that yet so i'm, I'm hoping that's what we're going to have in the future
1: interesting I that, well that would work too i mean
4: i know i think all three of our heads are spinning right now <laughs> you like, know. Well, going through is, our past experiences and yes. like how how could that work how could we make this happen <laughs>
2: You know. The thing is, it would have to be psychics overseeing psychics. And that's yes. what happened. It's like, who's who's studying psychic development scientists? But they're not psychic scientists. And so right, right. they're not they're not qualified yeah. to study psychic work. And we right. see the same thing in medical intuition. So like the term medical intuition was coined by Carolyn Miss and Norm Sheely. And, you know, we should be very grateful to them because they did bring this you know, into the forefront, they wrote these books about it, they popularized the term, and it's been really a valuable thing that they've done. Mm -hmm. However, Norm Shealy was trying to um, study psychics and medical intuitives. And so he's written about that, but he's not himself an intuitive. And so he was coming at it as a doctor, but without the training as an intuitive. And so what we need, if you want to have kind of credentialing and licensing of intuitives is you have to have intuitives doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't have people outside of the (laughs) community saying, well, I don't, I'm not psychic, but I'm going to decide whether or not you're (laughs) right. (laughs) No, you can't decide. Just like if I'm not a medical doctor, I don't get to license a medical doctor. (laughs) Right. Right. Have have the gift to license the gift. That's funny. That's what we need. Um, is we need, you know, and that's what, that's what the vision is for my school is to have really talented, um, psychics be a part of, you know, training and licensing and, and, um, credentialing other psychics so that they can have, you know, repeatable, reliable, evidential, um, readings.
1: Yeah. How far out are you on that? On, I know you have classes, um, now, but on an actual school, how, where are we in that?
2: Well, I've been um, working on the, the the proposal for it for about six years. And it's all spirit led. So I had like, um, I channeled uh, much of the proposal from 13 different guides over a period of time. And so it's it's that it's at that stage where it's a proposal and then and then I have like my online school but the proposal for the school is not a school that I would run. It's not a school that I would be in charge of or I would be the, the main teacher. Um, I'm just the founder and the guides are working through me to create the vision. Oh. Um, and so what I need to do, this they've been giving me steps. What I'm supposed to do is once I finish the proposal, I'm supposed to publish it. And then people are going to um, show up to form sure. the, the councils. So there's gonna be a founding council that helps to found it and then there's different councils that run it there's no hierarchy there's no figurehead um all of the structure the government structure of the school has also been dictated by spirit um and that's because so many small communities whether they're spiritual communities or small tribal communities or any kind of small community end up being kind of destroyed by cronyism and corruption and you know the whole guru effect (laughs) right and and so they've given me some really clear guidelines on how to set the school up so that it won't uh hopefully fall victim to those 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 problems um now it's been interrupted I was working on it and then in 2020 I was in a bad car accident and I spent the better part of the last three years recovering And, um, so only, it's only been a year that I've been back in the saddle, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I'm writing my books and teaching my classes online, but I'm not seeing clients uh, in person. My guides have me on a break from that, but I was doing a lot of that before the accident. And so that kind of interrupted everything. And what my guides want me to do is they want me to write these four books. And then they say, that's how the school is going to get. Um, become well known and funded is through the platform that I create with my books. And that's going to allow me then to attract people to found, to help found the school. And so it, The Ethical Psychic was the first book they wanted me to write.
0: And what's the second book you said, The Sovereign? Sovereign
2: Wisdom. Sovereign it's wisdom. a book on Native American philosophy. Got it. Yeah, it's actually, it's an academic book, but I've written it in a style that's um accessible to anyone uh, but it's a it's a proposal for um the field of native american philosophy based on recurrent themes in native american culture so i i've read a, just a really wide cross-section
3: mm-hmm.
2: of writings by native american authors and i spent about 10 years working on it
0: <laughs> wow
2: and then i came up with some recurrent themes that i thought a lot of different people in different tribes, different gender, different backgrounds, different time periods, all talking about and and then I identify those and and propose that the way we could, um, you know, kind of uh, propagate a new field of philosophy Native American philosophy is by basing it on these recurrent themes that Native American authors and orators talk about. So that's the the second book. Um, And uh, the third book is the one I'm working on now, which is about medical intuition. That's great.
1: This has been, this has been great. I feel like we
2: can talk. (laughs) We can go all
1: over. We have a tendency sometimes to, to ramble and go off path, but, um, we are so happy that you were able to join us. Um, and again, to our listeners, thanks for staying with us and please check out Dr. Jennifer Lisa Vest. Sure. Information will be on the psychic wives, uh, website. Um, and, um, you have more than one website though, correct? Do you, or is it just one website?
2: I do, but you, I can just, people could just go to the com website.
1: Okay um that'll, that'll be on our website yeah yeah website so thank you um so much for joining us i hope you come back because um, there's so many more questions oh my god me. yeah yeah
0: <laughs>
1: i actually want to get a copy of your book
4: and 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 read it and then maybe we could have a whole discussion around that because that is such a big topic yeah
1: well yeah. i know and i have it on audible i should have got the hard copy because i'm better visiting-
4: yeah to make notes
1: right yeah so okay well thank you for being with us today and um until next time be well and we'll be, be kind thank you. thank you
0: thank you for listening to the psychic wives podcast with ginger Hendry, jerry carobin and Kathy Rumsey, where we discuss everyday living with a twist. To learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ThePsychicWives.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Psychic Wives. If you would like to support us, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and feel free to share our episodes with anyone you feel would benefit from listening. Sending you all peace, love, and light.